Yes, I'm on today, man. I've got my... It's uh, nothing but wall-to-wall comedy now. <laughs> I've got my clean caffeine. What is that? It tastes like hard seltzer, which I'm not happy about, but it's not hard seltzer. It's just... Are you oh, sure about that? Yes, I, I read it over and over again. Plant press, clean caffeine, sparkling water with immune-boosting, vitamins, don't, and... Don't do them in ad. Electrolytes. Oh, electrolytes. I always... That's good. It is hot in here, though. It is. It's fucking... Outside is crazy. So, uh, I, I heard... Uh, I'm listening to this new book. It's actually not a new book for me. It's a, it's a rehash. But um, she was talking... It's about this, uh, you know, alcoholic housewife type of adventure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so she documents going through the process and all of that. And then something came up, fuck everything and run, when they were talking about oh, fear. Fear, yeah. fear. And I just... I, rem- I just thought it was great. I forgot about that. And how it goes is the acronym for fear, fuck everything and run, mm-hmm. or is it face everything and recover? Right. Aha, those are your choices. So anyway. Or it could be fart everywhere and run. Fart everywhere and run. <laughs> and <laughs> Sorry. we're back. Here we go. Welcome to Recovering the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. Uh, hola. I am Mike. Me amo. <laughs> and boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. Mike returns from his diving trip with stories of American alcoholic excess. <laughs> and we buckle up for a deep dive of another sort for part two of the RMA Relapse, Relapse Spectacular today on a very special edition of RMA. Yes, and hmm. thank you for listening. And if you would like to get to know us better, maybe learn more about Nat's astrological signs. And uh, I'm a so, Leo. I'm a Leo. Are you? Yeah. Hmm. What are you, a scorpion? No, I'm a Capricorn. Uh, just that like make sense? my daddy. My dad's a Capricorn. Is he really? So are you, are you a Christmas make, baby? Capricorns make good lawyers. Huh? Yes, really? <laughs> are, are, uh, are you a Christmas baby? Uh, January, early January. So I'm sort of on the cusp of Aquarius, oh. which makes sense because I'm practical and spacey at the same time. And it's the dawning of the age of Aquarius. It, it's been dawning for quite some time now. So if you want to learn more about us, uh, visit us at middleagerecovery.com. You can find the podcast at Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook. No, you can't find the podcast there, but you'll find us there yeah. fighting with listeners mostly. You will find us. Uh, Instagram, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and Twitter. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group, which if you go to the main page, you'll have to request an invitation and we will let you in. We let everybody in. We have a team of moderators waiting for oh, you yeah, to apply we have to a, get Now in. we have a team of moderators. Yes, so who knows do. if you'll get in? I don't even know. Jeff it's up D. to them. We got Jeff D, Aaron, uh, Aaron Moore from the show, and... Grant Boykin, G Money Smooth, the editor at large of the RMA Newsroom. That's right. Grant provided a substantial amount of research for today's show, I might add. Thank you, Grant. And even sent me a follow up email this morning yeah. on a point of clarification for something that I was curious about. Yes, um, and we're, we're using all of that, all of the research. Um, last night I was burning the midnight oil. Were you? Putting, yeah, oh yeah. I started, uh, I worked on this 
during the day yesterday and at night. And I always think morning. about hash when people say they're burning, burning the oil, burning hash. the midnight oil. Burning the midnight hash. Uh, great reviews will be read on the show. Open your Apple Podcast app, search for our show. Click the Drunk Monk, scroll down to where it says reviews, and then click write a review. Give us five stars and say how much you love us. I think I'm going to rewrite that copy. Yeah, I, the word show appears twice, too, yeah. too close together. Uh, we got one from Monk. Eight six seven five three zero nine, which is Jenny's number. Mike Monkey, did you catch that? I did. Eight six seven five three zero nine. This guy's very clever. Monkey um, e says a great podcast, funny, insightful, helpful. Thank you. Yes, Monkey, you're the best. We think all those things too, and um, yeah, everyone else. Yeah, do so, that. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have to be long. It could be short, like. That one was. Yeah. Perfect. Very. Uh, new merch is available. We're working on it. <laughs> new merch is not yet available. We, we have shirts, though. Go check them out. Yeah. Go buy the old shirts. <laughs> Support our, your favorite show. Go to middleagesrecovery.com. Click the shopping cart icon and see what's cooking. Yeah. Our merch is high quality. We have tri-blend shirts. Rare, in demand, and awesome. It's rare because I can't, <laughs> There's only like I can't even find them. Yeah. I think I have one, one large <laughs> oh, at home. I gave one to uh, Dopey Dave, actually, at, did when he? I did the uh, Patreon. Oh so yeah, we're gonna need to talk about now. that. Yep. Nat got some uh, exposure. Nat <laughs> was exposed. <laughs> uh, yeah, tell us your story and so on. Um, we got one. We did. We got one from Charlie Gray. <laughs> okay, right. Got it. Got it. And it says, "Hello, my name is Charlie Gray, and I am a 35 year old white gay man living in Midwest America. I too am a white gay man. Yes, living you in are. America. I would like to share my story of living." 11 years as a high-functioning, chronically relapsing alcoholic, where I attended no fewer than 54 separate facilities. Wow. <laughs> Jesus in an effort Christ. To find myself. That's uh, like, way, how many is that a year? I deliberately didn't read this until right now, just so everybody knows. <laughs> this is all a surprise to me, <laughs> really? too. Really? Yeah. It's, I, it was, it's actually very well written. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. This guy's uh, he's yeah. sharp. Uh, it all begins shortly after I graduate uh, from Drury University at 22. Bright-eyed hopeful, and eager to become an Academy Award-winning actor. Weren't nice. we all? Yes. Uh, I, was, I was ravenous for experience, which I found, albeit not quite as I anticipated. Wandering from corporate banking to global travel, always with a vodka bottle in tow, I became privy to the glittering underbelly of an addictive lifestyle. Ooh, the glittering underbelly. I love the glittering. It glitters a lot in the first few years. This guy's guy actually a writer, <laughs> yeah. um, I learned later. All right, fearing this was my ultimate fate. Uh, I fled to a series of rehabs, detoxes, and psychiatric wards. It is through these stories that I have woven my message of growth and authenticity. Uh, I was bruised and despondent, yet I found a way to lift myself from those depths. It's not a how-to or a dissertation on the effects of mindfulness, but rather an earnest gay man's recounting of how... I found my identity. I guess this is like a blurb for his book. Um, my experience offers unique insight into the method and mind of a chronically relapsing alcoholic and the tools necessary to combine such an affliction. I have remained sober since July 8th, 2020. And in that time, I penned a memoir, a memoir, uh, in an effort to broaden... <laughs> it's a French word. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> uh, in an effort to broaden my experience to our people, I am seeking to be a guest on your oh. podcast. So, um, interesting. People are reaching out to become guests. We've all got to start somewhere, and I'm absolutely certain of my experience in relapse. Um, 
and lots of scattered vodka bottles will provide better comfort for many of our peeps. Mm. Uh, for I can only keep what I'll be giving away. Take a chance on this old gay boy, yo. <laughs> um, Stoke, okay. He said also, thank you so much, Charlie. He also asked me to mention the memoir, and it's called At Least I'm Not the Frog. Huh. Uh, it'll be available on Amazon in early August. And also you can follow this guy's... Um, Facebook author page, uh, Charlie Gray. Or follow his blog, at least I'm not the frog yeah. blog. Thank you so much, Charlie. Uh, it's so cool to get like an, an author uh, writing us. Uh, and uh, you know what? I kind of want to do hear, right. I want That's what they do. I would, uh, I would love to. I'm going to take a chance this on this old gay boy. Yo. Yeah. With, let's, let's take a chance on him. Yeah. I'm happy. Charlie, uh, Thank if you. you're reading this, I'm reading this. Yeah, that's because we're writing a show this. here. Right. If you're uh, listening uh, to this, uh, and that wasn't just a blanket blast to all the addiction podcasts, yeah, that's probably what this was. out there. Um, drop us a line, and we'll try and. Uh, this is Charlie Gray's like PR department, just like looking for a podcast that would yeah. be dumb enough to read it. <laughs> no, but thank you, Charlie. We do appreciate. Yes, that. we do. And, yes, uh, yes. I'm very interested. I, I I was not at 57 facilities, but I know that it's possible. It just sounds like I would love to hear how. Just over 11 years. That's like. It's a lot of a travel. Lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> so, it's like, when um, do you have time to use if you're <laughs> if you're yeah. constantly in rehabs and mental institutions? His story, just from what I read here, reminds me of. There's a really good book by. Uh, it's it's the last name is Burroughs, but it's not the Burroughs you're thinking of. It's a younger guy. I do you know what Burroughs? I'm thinking uh, of. Augustine Burroughs. Oh yes, it's a younger the guy. Little little pieces. It, no, um, so Augustine Burroughs. You're thinking of a different guy who's yeah, no, I know. Me, James Frey. Yeah, yeah. Um, Augustine Burroughs is a gay man in um, publishing or something like that, or he's in marketing. Marketing. It's, yeah. I read his book. Dry. Great book. So I, this kind of gave me, you know, reminded Dry vibes. me. Of yeah. Dry is a great book too. Everybody read that immediately. Yeah. That that guy really had some. Yeah, he's he, good. He went, he went dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gets dark. Um, setting the timer. Uh, great. Okay. I'm going to hit the actual record button on the on the backup. Okay. Because you never know. I don't know. That's for sure. What happens if we do this for like an hour and a half someday and we lose it? It's bound to happen. I mean, it, it is, happens. right? Yeah, it's going to happen. And then what are we going to have to do? You just got to put on your big boy pants and do it, again. do it again, man. That's what you do. Wow. Dave was telling me uh, from Dopey that a, f- a few times he has done an entire interview, but with like a celebrity. Right. Only to realize that something didn't come out right. <laughs> you know, you can't hear the, like, uh, uh, there was a couple that he sent to me that he's like, can you fix this? And I'm like, I tried. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is only so much you can do. So as a pro, you got to just do it, it again. It happened Take with two. Uh, Rich Roll, I think, because he was talking about that. And he did a whole other, yeah. he had to, it did, you know, yeah. Do you want to talk? Uh, I mean, I know we're jumping around, but do you want to talk about your interview with Dave now that now that we're yeah. talking about your interview with Dave? So I was very excited. Those of you who don't know, there's probably very few of you who don't know this, but um, I'm a big fan of Dopey. Uh, Dopey podcast is- uh, About addiction and dumb shit. Uh, yeah. The podcast is about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit and recovery. And um, in any case, Dopey has a very large audience and they have a Patreon, which does not go out to as many people as the show does. But uh, it's very interested fans of this kind of genre. And so it was really cool because I got to drive out to his hometown, which is near us. And I got to meet him, which was awesome. 
and uh, and uh, he did a, a good. We had a nice discussion. We were sitting out there on the beach. Uh, he brought wow. his like portable setup, which was really cool. He didn't actually. bring the road Roadcaster Pro. No, to it was the beach. like this mini Zoom recorder. But we each yeah. were holding microphones, and people were like walking by while we're doing it. That's the best sound, I think. Uh, it sounds good. It's yeah. these direct mics, mm-hmm. um, dynamic. And uh, we had a great discussion. So we can't release this, obviously, because this isn't behind a paywall on um, on the Dopey Patreon. But uh, I highly recommend everybody go out. You can get in there for two or three bucks a month for the Dopey Patreon. And you can hear my interview with Dave and uh, and lots of other cool stuff. He does videos and... So, if you, yeah, if you like uh, Dopey, there's no reason you shouldn't be kicking in a couple bucks a month to the Patreon. I mean, it's not going to kill you. It'll help help Dave out. And Dave's always been very good to the show. Said some yep. nice things about us. Very uh, cool. We love Dave. Thank you, Dave. We love Dopey. Yeah. No, um, so how was that for you? Were you nervous? Yeah. Uh, it was really weird because I've basically, I'd say since the pandemic, I was relying heavily on podcasts mm-hmm. uh, to maintain, you know, my recovery and to stay in it. And Dopey was one of the ones that I really like gravitated to. I went back, I listened to the whole thing right? Uh, through the tragic passing of uh, his podcast partner, um, which broke my heart. And then I got really involved in the Dopey Nation as far as really leaning on those people for support the way I used to with an AA group. And so, you know, you really put, you know, when you listen to someone that much, Mm -hmm. it really puts them on a pedestal, whether you want to or not. You can't help it, or I couldn't help it. And uh, it was just very surreal. I feel like it was really cool. And he's much taller than I thought, by the way. (laughs) He's like six feet tall. People look taller on radio. Yeah. Um, It was very cool. Dream come true. And... um, yeah, it was exciting. I hope I can um, maybe get on the main show one of these days, but uh, we'll be advertising actually Goals. more on there. Yeah. Uh, did he he um, did he say anything nice about us? He said he thought he finally did listen to the show. <laughs> and I don't give him shit about it because I know he's not going to listen to it. But so he did listen to it and he said, wow, it sounds really good. Did he say what episode he listened to? No, I didn't no. push him. On okay. That. He probably listened to whatever the most recent one is for yeah. like 10 minutes. But um, he said he really liked it. He oh. was like, oh, it's good. Like, he looks surprised. Like, oh, I listened to it. And wow, this is pretty good. Um, he so, was on it. He was on our show. Yeah. I, so Yeah, go back you know. and listen to that. We had a great interview with Dave. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. Um, but not as much fun as going on a diving trip with my son. <laughs> Yes, I went on a diving oh, trip yes, with yes. my son. Yeah, how did that yes, go? So you're back from Mexico. I'm back from Mexico. The world of RMA was completely overturned, and we had to record the show early. And Yes, know. but released on our normal day. Yeah, we did. And uh, I, I don't think anybody really noticed, except I think gr- we talked about it It was a great week. episode. I wanted to thank Aaron again for being so brave. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, and, Aaron. Um, I later thought that I was being insensitive with the way I, the title I put. Like... Oh, I, I felt like after I dropped well, it, I, was I came like, up with the title. So just blame me. The relapse spectacular. I thought, um, <laughs> you know, I, I hope Aaron doesn't doesn't. Uh, I felt bad about well, that. She hasn't reached. I out think she gets the joke. Um, but I'm not. I don't mean this to is make a light. addiction comedy podcast. It is, it is. I just I don't want to make light of a relapse like it. It's not light. And anyway, it went really great. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. This is part two. So. Um, Mexico was interesting. Number one, it was interesting because I was just there by myself with my son. 
not, nobody else, you know, my wife didn't come, the other kids didn't come. So that was a little, that was a dynamic was a little strange. Yeah. Uh, but what was really strange was um, th- there was a, there was much more bad activity, I guess you could say, by drinking people on this trip than there was on the last one that we took in April. Um, bad? I don't know, bad. I, what's the word I'm looking for? Much more out in the open, I guess. People who were, you know, there was a swim, no shame, no shame, no shame. Swim up bar in the main pool. Everybody clustered around it. There's one uh, couple parents put their kids in like one of those floaty round things and kind of set them out into the <laughs> pool while they like were chained to the to swim up bar. And you know, and I'm swimming around with my son. You know, this is after we get our first dives in, and he's looking at this. You know, and I see him you know, looking at this and, and, you know, the behavior, cause it, I mean, I'm not ragging on Texas. I happen to love Texans, but because Texas is only like a three hour flight from Cozumel, you tend to get a lot of Texans there. And these Texans are big in every way. Like they're big people they They were big drinkers and they were extremely loud. And, um, the loudness was accentuated by the amount of, um, you know, rum drinks that they were, they were drinking. And I think my son was a little tripped out by the whole scene at the pool, you know, cause I was like, you know, I had to say to him, I'm like, you know, this isn't really how people normally behave, <laughs> but when there's alcohol involved, you know, people can get loud. You well, know? well, we were talking a bit while you were over there, we were texting, checking up on you as your tandem sponsor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it made me think like, you know, because obviously I used to do that. It made me think back like um, on a cruise I was on and, and like the drinking in the morning. But I remember when I was really full into my alcohol addiction, being on a trip, I remember like having to get a drink in the morning and feeling that desperation. Like you said, people hmm. were drinking in the morning. I, I was like that. I went know? to the buffet. Uh, and great buffet at the Ibero Star Cozumel. Any of you guys scuba divers, you should definitely stay there. The dive operation is also top notch. I want to scuba dive. You, yeah, I got a guy. Oh, he came in and I, we were talking about yeah. it. So um, 7 a.m. I go in there to get a cup of coffee after a, a sweaty run through the jungles of Mexico. And there's like three or four tables full of people that are slamming beers at 7 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, that, that just... Even when I was drinking, that was a little, that was pushing the envelope a bit for me. I mean, People, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, maybe, but seven o'clock in the morning, Jesus, you know? Um, yeah. What I mean, really got to me was like a lot of the people in the pool who I watched... I mean, I'm thinking like these people are going to be passed out by 7.30 at night, and maybe they were. Um, but the next morning, you know, I saw a couple of them on the dive boat, you know, putting a tank on, getting ready to go to 100 feet and look at po- look at eels and stuff. And I'm, I'm like, that's insane. I'm like, number one, you're probably really feeling the weight of the idea that you maybe you drank too much when the boat is like, well, what's the listing and sipping over the waves? What's well, the real danger? You to just do don't, that? you don't have your wits. About. I mean, I, I can't speak to the physiological effects of being adept with all that much alcohol and and metabolites and poison going through your body it can't be good it can't be good but you're also your judgment is impaired and you know you're not your situational awareness is compromised and those are things i think i would want to have with me i mean i have my son and i'm driving to you know we're i think our deepest dive was about 100 feet and you know my job is to make sure he hits the boat alive you know and if i had been as hung over as some of those people did yeah. who were diving with their family yeah, you're, no way you know i could yeah. not have uh, you know is that I, his first time probably not right he was certified two years ago and we've been 
we've done some shallower dives and we last time we went to Mexico we did some some diving but I think the deepest he he ever was on those reefs was 50 feet so these dives were all wow and when you add that extra 30 feet uh, or 40 feet it really makes a, a difference in the, the level of situational awareness you have to have you have to keep checking your gauges more often and stuff and man know. it just gives me anxiety just thinking about it um one thing i was thinking about because we were texting and i got you on the plane what one of my big triggers and we'll talk about it, we're going to talk about relapse uh, late in the main part, um, talk about triggers as part of, as far as lapse, what? relapse, relapse. <laughs> and, uh, I was thinking about how I romanticized having a drink on the plane so much. Like for me, maybe once I get to Mexico, it, it won't be as bad as when I'm on that plane. <laughs> like, cause my whole life I've pictured myself drinking a cocktail yes. in a plane being served by a flight attendant. Right. And I don't know. There's that. What's she wearing? <laughs> she, <laughs> um, and uh, so that's something. How was that for you? Are you? Does that give you like you know you could drink like nothing, like you wouldn't get arrested, you wouldn't like get divorced, oh, not like, not right away, no. But like <laughs> I don't know, like um, how was that for you? Is that do you have that same experience? Uh, well, I I hearken back to my business travel days where usually on the way home would be the time that I would be hitting the hitting the the wine on the plane, right. but, uh, travel in the, like, again, in the morning, I was never a morning drinker. So the, the so I wanted it, to drink the second I got into an airport. No. It didn't matter what I, time I was in the Delta lounge and there were definitely people throwing them back at six o'clock in the morning. But the thing is in an airport, it's almost like you get a, the alcoholics can get a free pass because there is no five time. o'clock somewhere, yeah, right? Somewhere. So, you know, there's that, but honestly on the, on the plane, especially now, like COVID, like they, they really, the airlines have used this as a great excuse to like not serve you much at all. Yeah. They give you like a box of, you know, snacks with goldfish and water. And if you want a drink, they begrudgingly bring you one. Um, so, you know, a little, a little of the romance of, did you fly uh, business class? We actually did. Yes. Both, both ways. But it's only because I had miles accrued from 13 years of grinding it out in coach. I've Uh, only done that once in, uh, my father-in-law used to work for American Airlines, so yeah, you we, can you can get him get me bumped. Yeah. <laughs> Once you do that, you never want to ride uh, coach again. You don't. And if you've ever seen that Seinfeld episode, you, you, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I don't think I know no. that one. Okay, uh, I'll see if I can post a. Li- it's probably on YouTube. Um, so yeah, that was. When are you going to Mexico? Uh, August 11th. So you're going like okay. Well, we're gonna miss my birth. I know what you're thinking. You're like Nat. August 14th, you're going to be away. We were going to go out for your birthday and have a big party uh, for yeah, you. And so exactly. I, I, don't worry. I want you to rest rest assured. I will be back. We can celebrate afterwards. When you, you and my son have birthdays a day apart. Oh, no kidding. Is yeah. he the uh, ben. 13th or the 15th? He's the 13th. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. You see that? That's why we, Isn't that something? we're so alike. My wife told me to make sure to pay you for that ball that they stole when they came in here the other day. Okay. I'll put it on your tab. <laughs> I also got to buy some water bottles. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Yes. So um, I understand you went to my old employer for a, a, a trip. You you took the kids to the Bronx Zoo. Yeah. One thing that we've been doing as a family um, ever since things opened back up is Sundays, it's my day of rest, basically. Like God. Exactly. Just like God. It's the Sabbath. And uh, But that's not why. I just, that's my day to do stuff. So we've been really like, every Sunday, we're doing something as a family. Right on. And uh, like this weekend, I hope, I think we're going to go to the Museum of Natural History in New York City, which I love. Great I cannot wait. I used to go there as a kid when I lived in Manhattan. So I have great memories from that place. And um, 
And so last Sunday, we went to the Bronx Zoo. Yeah. Um, and if you guys have never been to the Bronx Zoo, uh, it's just one of the best zoos in the world. Uh, people come from miles around uh, just to see these gorillas, and um, <laughs> which were amazing, by the way. And we had a great day. Like, I have to say, I know I've, I've talked about on the show kind of having difficulties with my oldest son behavior-wise. And the way he deals with his little brother. And they were just great. You know, like, I finally got him to take the, the fancy camera he got. Oh, and nice. I was like, you're the photographer. And he really leaned into that and, you know, took a lot of shots. He was holding it, thinking about it, you know, looking for his moment to take. And it was really cool. Um, and my sister-in-law, my, my wife's sister, came with us. And it was just a lot of fun, you know. Um, the zoo was awesome. It was great. I just really loved it. I mean, tons of walking. We walked like 13,000 steps or something. Well, it is one of the largest uh, metropolitan area zoos in the United States, comprising yeah. 265 acres of parklands and naturalistic habitats separated by the Bronx River. Did you know that? That's right. I did. I think I knew that because we went on the tour where they drive you on that special cart mm -hmm. and then it goes over the... The water and the bridge and everything. And you it, went on the Bengali Express monorail, I believe. That's what that is. Yes. Yeah. What, yeah. What is this? You you went to the Bronx. Well, you worked there. I worked at the Bronx what? in 1986. <laughs> I think I knew that, but I didn't remember. I may have mentioned it on an earlier show, but uh, back then, you know, you know, they have the now they have the zoo shuttle, and it takes you from like one side of the zoo to the other. Yeah. So you don't have to walk. We won't. Um, but back in the 80s, that was called the Safari Tour Train, and I had to give a spiel. I would drive it. And I would You're say on the on the right, you can see the Greve zebra. You know, yeah. their stripes are actually not brown, black, but brown. You know, stuff like that. My wife was telling me, you, like the guy was doing that. And she's like, "You could do this." Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, I I did you that. Did it. They gave me a script. I had to memorize it. And and I was working there with a guy who was who ended up becoming a DJ at WFUV. Who was uh, he worked there many years, but we became good friends that summer because we used to smoke a lot of weed together. Um, <laughs> I had an off uh, an apartment couple blocks away from the zoo. So we could run there on our lunch hour. Wow. Uh, do, rip bong hits, uh, eat sandwiches from Mikey's Deli, and then go back to work. Wow. A couple, um, uh, that was a crazy summer because, you know, I was, I'm a Long Island kid and I had only been in the Bronx for, you know, a year or so the going to school up there. So I met some people that grew up there, like this DJ guy grew up in the Bronx. So he had some friends and some of his friends were like, you know, uh, Rougher got characters, right? So nice. I remember going one day after after work, we went to this hip hop party uh, in the South Bronx after work with this big biker, um, you know, that my friend knew and everything was cool, you know, and they were kind of like, you know, everybody there was um, African American or Jamaican or some variety of, you know, not not a white boy. Not I like guess. a, a <laughs> French guy. So I, I was a bit of a novelty. Like people were like talking to me and stuff. But um, then uh, Frank, who was the biker, pulled a, a knife on a Jamaican guy because the Jamaican guy was causing all kinds of problems or something. And I remember having to run out of there. Wow. And then we went to some really weird speakeasy strip club in the South Bronx. And I don't know, I wrote a little description of what went on there, but I'm not going to read that because that's... <laughs> uh, and also that summer that I worked there, one of the trainers got eaten by a tiger. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, it was. Wow. It was. Everyone was sad for a day or so. I don't remember seeing that in the news. Yeah. Yeah, they don't they don't advertise that. No. 
And I did, uh, I did once drive the safari tour train on acid. I took LSD. I, I, I found it hard to give the tour. Yeah. It's doing, I took the driver's ed in high school. I think I told that story. I took a hit of acid and I was doing driver's yeah. ed. Um, did you see back then a lot of people drink? Was alcohol a big part of the zoo There was no then? alcohol served at the zoo then, but now they have zoo brews so, and all this kind of crap. Yeah. And I took a picture of it specifically for the show because when I'm out and about, I am taking notes for the show. And uh, they had a little hut. Uh, called Zoo Brews, but I honestly didn't see a lot of people drinking. I mean, no, but what they what they do do doo-doo. is they sell tickets for an event called Zoo Brews, and they open up the zoo at night, and you can go there and drink your way through the zoo with with younger people. They they do that at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and they do it at the Museum of Natural History as well. It's like a wine tour type of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I guess they figure incorporating as if, as if the rare and exotic animals are not attraction enough, they have to provide you with rare and exotic beer as well. You know, I found myself to be, and this is one thing I'm noticing in sobriety is I'm all very much focused on the trip we're taking or the food we're eating or the people I'm talking to. Whereas before uh, I was really just focused on where can I get a drink? Right. Can I have a drink? Mm-hmm. Um, do I have to drink it in a special area? You know, maybe I have to sneak one or whatever it was. And uh, so I found that this time it was really like I was focused on my kids, focused on my wife and the animals and just experiencing it. And um, I don't know, it really does a lot towards um, enhancing uh, day-to-day uh, experiences. Yeah, because I would always have that internal clock that would know when it was five o'clock, and then I would I would <laughs> start planning the day around where I was going to get get those drinks. Uh, but now it's like time has cha- has shifted. Like I can just do stuff without it. Yeah. it's not even in my head anymore. Yeah, even in the yeah. morning, that's a new thing for me. Being able to get up and function, <laughs> like instead of going yeah. for whatever my fifth of uh, vodka. I mean, uh, it's 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 different. It's totally different. Yeah, gorillas, monkeys, elephants, rhinos, giraffes, you name it. Um, and the people watching was excellent, but oh, yeah. I'm not talking about that. No? Why not? Because I don't have anything specific there. In any case, but very, <laughs> very interesting, a good time. Uh, it wasn't Mexico, but it was at the Bronx Zoo. Um, I understand that you have a very stressful uh, party to prepare for, that you came home from your vacation and you had to just... Start hit the ground running. Ready. Yeah, yeah. Well, my father-in-law's turning seventy. He's like I mentioned before. He's been in the, the program for like thirty some odd years. Right, right. Um, so at least I don't have to go out and buy a whole bunch of booze because a lot of the people coming are not <laughs> not drinking. Oh, really? Yeah. So, that's so it's not nice. even like he he doesn't want alcohol. No, no, or he people just don't. No, he doesn't care. Um, yeah. But I but I just I think the people he associates with are just not big drinkers. You know, yeah. like my uh, my mother-in-law came over with. Like a little bag of wine, but it was like it was those half bottles mm-hmm. and only four of them. And she's like, "This should be enough wine." And I'm like, "Wow, that would have been enough for me." <laughs> you know, um, yeah. And, and like he's bringing or somebody else is bringing over a six pack of beer to have in the cooler in case anybody wants a beer. So that was interesting. But um, I basically had to turn my backyard from the jungle that it had become over the last year and a half into something presentable because we're having like 20 some odd people come and we're getting a tent and do you have landscapers come to your house or you you take care of that's the landscaper yeah you're one of those guys well i have a guy come in the spring and i have a guy come in the fall yeah and during and then i pay my son to cut the grass (laughs) 
Yeah. That's cool. And then I paid Ben to weed yesterday. No kidding. Yeah. Not smoke weed. Not pull smoke weeds. it, pull weeds. Pull weeds. <laughs> uh, which cool. he did. So yeah, it's, it's, it's stressful. And like, when I get out of here, um, I have to go and now I have to become like a landscape designer and buy a bunch of flowers and figure out where those are going to oh, go and fun. stuff. Yeah. And then I also have to do eight hours of work, but I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'm a little, I'm feeling a little like the butter on the bread thing. I'm, st- I'm spread a little thin spread this thin. week. But too much butter scraped across too much toast bread or something. Or something. Um, yeah. yeah. All so right. It's well. cool, man. You know what? I, I'm just in- incredibly grateful that I can handle all this stuff without problems. You yeah. know, like I, I'm in a good space mentally. Although I have to say my meditation has fallen off a mm. little bit in the last few weeks and it's, it's kind of, I'm starting to feel it. Yeah. I'm starting to feel like, like that peace of mind is a little harder to, to grab. I was getting that my meditation from running and yeah. uh, that was my real meditation time. And I haven't gone in like six days because of the heat and just life. And I'm, I've been going to the gym still. I've been getting my ass to the gym, but mm-hmm. man, I'm, and, and it really, I really feel it when I, when I don't do my running every few days. Running is good um, meditation. Scuba diving is amazing meditation because there really is, you, you can't focus on anything else. Um, you know, you have to be kind of dialed in. So it's, you know, it's all about focus or else you run the risk of, you know, lapse, relapse, <laughs> relapse. Um, huh. speaking of relapse, um, uh, something funny happened relapse when, <laughs> today. Um, uh, not today, uh, last week. So there's a guy I used to work for. I used to have this job at, um, it's marketing guy. Uh, this big company that is sort of like ZocDoc, but isn't, which is a medical... I don't know what that is. It's like, it's annoying to explain. It's not that interesting. But he was a really it's good... Show. He was a boss with a, a great big company. He was very successful. Guy's multi-multi-millionaire. And this was back in 2000, I think, 11. And uh, I was just such a bad alcoholic back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was running out to... Uh, to get pick up dope on my lunch break, I had vodka in my coffee cup, like the works. Nah, he never noticed. Uh, dude, <laughs> uh, he he never said anything to me directly, but he had this one guy I worked with, the IT guy, one time say, Man, are, "Are you like you know? Anthony thinks you're just like wasted twenty four seven. Are you like drinking all the time? Like what's going on?" <laughs> He's like, I don't, "You know, I'm not coming after you personally. I'm I'm a little worried, you know." Right. And I was like, "No, I don't drink." Meanwhile, at that job, uh, like one of the the things I accomplished was watching the entire series of Lost. <laughs> well, I, at work. So. So that boss, so when I did get fired, it was couched as part of layoffs that they were doing, but I'm sure, you know, me being wasted all the time, you know, had uh, an effect. <laughs> this will be a great opportunity to get yeah, rid of that drunk pretty much. in IT. You know, and uh, in any case, so that guy lives in our town, basically, mm-hmm. in uh, in the fancier part. Right. And, uh, and so since I've opened my store, he's come in like a couple of times. And uh, it's just been really interesting. Every time he comes in, he's super friendly. Yeah. You know, he brings his new baby in. And I don't know. It's just, I feel so awkward. I feel like I want to make an amends. But every time he comes in, and so he's only been a few times, but last week, I really wanted to say like, man, I'm really sorry, you know, that I did that. And um, and I didn't, you know, take your the job opportunities seriously. 
And uh, hmm. I really felt like I wanted to make an amends, partially because I'm thinking, man, maybe he's got a job for me. Because <laughs> um, this guy, he just has jobs. Like he's he has like 60 employees, different companies. Like he's all over right. the place. Um, well, maybe, guitar player too. Maybe it couldn't hurt, you know? But I feel like I would have to say something like, listen, I ha or just like casually mention, oh, I haven't had a drink in four years, something like that. Or you could just be like, when I worked for you, I was so fucked yeah, up. Yeah, just like, I'm really sorry. So, um, <laughs> any case, uh, monsters out there, if you have um, suggestion as well, how I should handle that, because um, I would like another job, um, please let me know. Or if you want to hire Nat, yeah. you know, drop us a line. <laughs> I have too many jobs that don't pay. I do too much uh, volunteer work, so to speak. Um, so that was interesting. Incidentally, um, how's the church deaconing thing going? The you, church deaconing. Are you on a hiatus for the uh, summer? Oh, I forgot to mention. Uh, I forgot to mention the church deacon thing. You just reminded me that when I was on Dopey, it's right on the outline. Right, That's why I is, brought it up. It is. Kid. It is. Uh, I thought it was really interesting because you know Dave has an agenda in his head. He like of which way he wants to go with the interview and how, what he's going to grab onto and and pursue as far as questions. And he really started to you know he was very intrigued by the this idea that I was a church deacon uh, on the one hand, and on the other hand, I was um, you know doing drugs and living this double life. It is pretty interesting. And uh, and I don't think about that a lot, interestingly, but maybe it's just me blocking it out. But um, yeah, that is like living that double life. Um, and, and he was just talking about how part of that is the thrill of getting away with it. Mm -hmm. And just pretty much like, how does that make you feel? You know, and how did you cope with that? How does that make you feel? It, it was... Did that make you feel? It was horrible. Yeah. I hated it. I hated that um, people thought, because I was getting away with it, and people would say to me, you know. Sort of. Yeah. Right? Well, I didn't get, because he was asking, how did you not get thrown out of that church, and da-da-da-da-da, and for whatever reason, I was really able to not go into church, like, wasted it. It was really, anytime I came into the church, I was in between using. So, I was in bad shape, but... Um, I wasn't, you couldn't smell alcohol on me. I wasn't drinking. Uh, it would but, have been different if you were Catholic. They would have welcomed you. Yeah, right. Have another one. <laughs> um, but when parents, you know, I was a Sunday school teacher, or, or if I helped out, you know, volunteering at the church with something, you know, people would always say to me, like, oh, thank you so much. You, you know, the kids love you, and, you know, we really appreciate, you know. And I would think to myself, you know, if you only, if they only knew. knew. And so one of the things I've been trying to do in my recovery is to marry the person I project and want to be with the person I truly am. And I feel like that was so far, you know, apart. And now it's really a lot closer. Like mm -hmm. I can honestly say if someone says, ah, thanks, Nat, you're a good guy. You know, we appreciate it. I think, you know, I am a good guy. I work at that, you know, and, and I don't have to feel like I'm conflicted. You know, like there's, there's like no cognitive dissonance. No, you're, between, you're, you're, you have an in, um, integrated personality now. Like you're not hiding. You are what you are. Right. Which is one of the reasons I don't necessarily mind when people know about this show. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of coming around to that. Yeah. Myself. It's like a local, like, as I feel like I'm really good with what I'm up to, you know, and uh, I'm not too, I'm not ashamed of the disease that I have. Um, and I think that's important that we sort of, you know, break that stigma. You know, maybe if it was, there was no stigma like that, it would have been easier for me to get help sooner. 
you know, maybe it would have been more acceptable mm-hmm. for me to say, no, I've got to go to rehab. Like, it it's stig- just something stigma. people do. It's, uh, it's the worst. Um, I had an interesting experience, speaking of more people knowing about the show. Um, I got a text message out of the blue from a guy I went to law school with uh, oh, nice. 20 years ago, who, um, he was a, he's a friend of mine too. Um, but, you know, we've the only corresponding or talking we've really done over, in the years have been over Facebook. And he just sends me a text message uh, with... Um, a link to our podcast and said, uh, Hey, um, uh, I was listening to this and I'm like, the guy sounded like you. And then, and then you mentioned that you had kids who were named Jack and Ben. And I was like, wait a minute, is this you? Oh no. And, um, I was like, yeah, it's, it, it is, you know, and it, it, he had found it completely randomly cause he has almost, uh, two years in the program. And uh, he lives out in Texas and he was just looking for a podcast Uh that was focused on people in in, who are middle-aged who are uh, in recovery. That is very, very Isn't that fucking weird? Talk about six degrees. So we are getting out there. The cynic of me thinks that because Facebook knows that we're friends, they fed him a link to that. But I don't know if he even found it on Facebook. Yeah. Well, we're everywhere. I mean, uh, people, more and more people are finding the show, you know, you guys out there, share it. You know, if you've got friends and this is helping you, share it with them. Um, I have a whole bunch of people I went to law school with and regular school with who are, you know, it's funny, like people my age, they start hitting 50 and it's like, you can go one of two directions. You can sort of continue. You can turn pro and really, yeah. really go down the tubes and let your health slide out and then check out early. Or you can get your shit together. You yeah. Know? And, and I, I know I can count a bunch of people that I know who have taken the turn and gotten their shit together and yeah. gotten into recovery and gotten serious about dropping the drugs and the alcohol. And, uh, yeah, that was, I like, know a bunch of them yeah. listen to the show, you know? Yeah. So. It's, it's inter- It's very, very, it's cool. And it's frightening all at the same time. It is. I've right. been getting nervous doing the shows lately cause I'm watching the numbers and, uh, it's freaking me out a little bit that, uh, what so many people I don't know and may know are listening to this. Yeah. And uh, so it's very surreal. It makes it hard to phone it in. It, it, yeah, you can't <laughs> phone it in. Um, I wanted to also mention before we move on to our relapse spectacular part two. Um, a while back, Sergeant Slaughter and and Scoot Scuba Danny both told <laughs> that, us that's his name on the show now. That's his name. Okay, told us that RMA also stands for refused medical attention. Yeah. So both of them, you know, not talking to one another both reminded right. of this and well, I keep one's freaking- a cop and one's a fireman. So there okay. you go. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I mean, I've done that before. Um, once the, uh, the last day I had my car, this is right before I lost my license for three years until mm-hmm. my probation was, was over. And, uh, the last day I had my car, I was going from work to outpatient. I was smoking crack. Um, I don't remember if I was on dope at the time too, or if I was just smoking crack, but, uh, I was, you know, hitting a crack Back in the car, and I was rushing to my court-mandated outpatient program <laughs> uh-huh. from where I was working at the time. And I looked down for a second because I had to. They were calling me to see why I was late, and I rear-ended a woman, um, and uh, totaled my car. And you know, it was right. It was like December. And you were high on crack at the time. High on crack. Ugh. And uh, so, but what did I do? They pulled the car over. It was all crunched up. The woman is freaking out. She, I find out she's okay. I go for a walk. 
Okay. Like to smoke more crack. To smoke more crack. Because that's what you do when you smoke crack. You do. You smoke more crack. I was like, I just got to go for a walk. I'm even lying to myself. (laughs) I'm like, I just need some air. And I was like behind a bush by the gas station. And I can hear the sirens in the distance. I hear them getting closer. Oh, dude. I'm kneeling behind this bush. I'm trying to smoke more crack. (laughs) And um, and then I, I ditched the pipe. I ditched everything. And then the cops came and it was just ambulances. And they were like looking at me they're like do you you, you know you got to come to the hospital have you been drinking <laughs> uh and th- you know what i hadn't been drinking <laughs> no officer so my if i had a breathalyzer it'd be 0. 0.0 right um and so i knew that how do you smoke crack and not drink what kind of freak just, of nature are you it's work cracking <laughs> <laughs> i needed it just for work you know to get work, work crack uh, yeah pretty much this is my work crack this is just this is my work. home crack yeah, i don't drink at work i just smoke crack and um <laughs> And so I had to refuse medical attention, RMA, because I knew if I went to the hospital, probation would get a uh, get a hold of my right. blood work, and that I would be back. I would be at jail. Yeah, so, no way would you go to the hospital under those no, circumstances. No, I refused, refused, refused. And so uh, they didn't. The cops didn't think it, they just thought you were an exceptionally exceptionally twitchy person. Well, they they knew I was on the phone because somebody saw me or I admitted that I was using the phone. So they're like, oh, it's a distracted driving thing. Oh. So so I didn't get a, a driving while intoxicated. I didn't have any repercussions from my outpatient or probation. And it was all because I RMA'd, hmm. refused medical attention. So let that be a lesson to you kids. If you're ever just smoking crack and not drinking and you rear-end somebody in a car, always refuse medical attention. Okay. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we move on to our relapse spectacular? I just can't get my head around the the fact that you smoke crack without drinking. Like I just don't understand how that happens. Well, sometimes I would snort, you know, some heroin and take the edge off, but I don't know. That I understand. I don't remember if at that time I was doing that, but I might've been. Okay. You know, I, I frequently went together like peas and carrots, you know, uh, <laughs> cracking heroin. I, I always enjoyed the crack because I could, I could drink like a fish. I always uh, enjoyed crack. <laughs> you know, I, crack was a vehicle by which I could consume more alcohol. But mm. the problem was then I would have this, it was like a horse race between the alcohol and the crack. Like, which one could I get in my body more, <laughs> right. you know, and faster? Uh, the crack usually won in the end. Yeah. Um, but the, the big question was always at the end of the night, like you got like a dollar fifty left. Yeah. Do you buy like a really small rock and keep the party going? Or do you go buy like a Meisterbrow at the, at the bodega and try and take the edge off? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, uh, that, it's that, a that, shitty place to be. It was man. always a coin flip for uh, me. Uh, usually I went with the crack, which, because I always thought there's always hope, right? I could always find more money in my couch cushion or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. There's you know? Never mind the fact that it's 8.30 in the morning, yeah, you know. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, I did not miss that. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm done with that. Now. All right. So um, are we taking a break before we uh, start or we're going to move straight into... It's a, your bladder is smaller than mine, apparently. Right. So you tell me. Let's move on to part two of the Relapse Spectacular. Relapse. Relapse. Um, Relapse. And and thanks again, Grant, for all of this uh, data. Hopefully, I can make some sense of it. What I really wanted to do, you, you know, what we need what? Grant to come on and make sense of the fucking data. I think that. I think Why doesn't Grant want to come on the show? We, we just he could do the whole. He do. We'll do not. You know, just everything will be Grant. We'll just do a Grant show. Um, I think his story is pretty interesting. I it is, and the more I read about it, and. Uh, 
it, it's very, very interesting. We yeah. do. I would love to get him on and just to tell it in his own words. Mm-hmm. But I wanted, like on the last show, great. We, you know, talked about relapse. We had Aaron's brave story of relapsing and coming back and how we're dealing with it. But what I didn't get to is all of the statistics. Right. I like statistics. I like studies. And, uh, the science. The science behind it. Like, it's not about what you feel. You know, it's like, what is it? What is the truth? Um, and so we got some of that stuff. Um, the, f- the first thing, I, you know, what percentage of alcoholics relapse? And this is from um, the recoveryvillage.com, how to avoid and deal with relapse. And so some of these stats, you know, are interesting because they're different from how I thought it was. It says over 30% of people attempt to stop drinking relapse in their first year of sobriety. However, what? Okay. Um, Go ahead. ahead. However, while the the first years can be the hardest, the relapse rate goes down over time. In one study, 21.4% of recovering alcoholics relapsed in their second year in recovery, but only 9.6% relapsed in years three and five and so on. This means that more than 70% of people struggling with alcohol abuse will relapse at some point. Yes. But the point here that I think is interesting is the longer you stay sober... The, the better chance you have of hanging on, but it does not go away, is what they're saying. Like, people still relapse. Yes. And, um, and what I found interesting about, about that is that it opens up this whole range of possibilities and, and whole range of ideas about how do you keep people sober in the first year. Because it seems like that's when it's most dangerous. And that if you can maintain the sobriety for a year, you're, you, you're, you have less and less of a chance over subsequent years of relapsing. So, yeah. but it's not impossible. You don't get necessarily a hundred percent out of it, but people who stay in a program have a better chance. Well, yes, but it depends on the type of program, right? I mean, what does AA say? Stick with the winners. But I mean, I wouldn't say AA is really the winners if they're only 5% successful, think- but that, you know, maybe we can have that conversation in a minute. I mean, what, I, I don't know if you put this in here. I, I looked at it. There's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff in here, and some of it was added after I looked at this uh, last night. But um, Grant did send us a um, um, an article about um, something called Soberlink. Did you put that in there? Oh, no, no, I didn't. But I've heard this advertised on, uh, on other shows. So what Soberlink is, is a... Um, mechanism that will detect alcohol in your system uh, that you can self-administer right. and it can check you up to three times a day. So it's, it's very targeted towards making sure that you don't have anything yeah. in your system. Accountability. Accountability. It's like enforced accountability yeah. based on science, which, you know, if you look at the statistics first year relapsing, if you have something like that, even though it's like pretty coercive, right. um, it helps you build the the uh, the recovery muscle up to the point where not drinking becomes the habit. And I think that happened with me. Um, you know, I often say that without my legal deterrence, like one of the first things that I got was a, a blower, a uh, uh, intoxilock. <laughs> or a fluffer, as they a call fluffer. it. A uh, fluffer. Intoxilock in a car. So if, I mean, that did help me to stay, like knowing that if I got caught and I was getting tested, the where I was at, uh, that was the thing keeping me sober for any amount of time. And while I was doing that, I was also going to AA, also going to outpatient, and also seeing a therapist. 
And so for me, it was the combination. Mm-hmm. Um, AA certainly brought it to front of mind also, but having that deterrent, I'm a big believer in throw the kitchen sink at this thing. Like don't, don't completely throw out one thing and substitute for another. You find the things that work uh, for you and the different things if you can, and, um, but and, I think we need to find yeah. the thing that works for like the most people and is most effective, right? I mean, people are different yeah. and recovery programs like, will necessarily differ. I, there's just no like catch all like treatment. Like, I don't know. I feel like the medication is, is really the future. And that's one of the things they said in this, these articles is that for opiate use, especially medicated trist, assisted treatment uh, has the best, uh, results. Um, Yeah, go on. I'm sorry. I'm just saying like the whole concept though of relapse assumes that the end goal of recovery is um, complete abstention, right? right? Abstinence. Um, And that may not be true for everybody, right? What do you think about that? Yeah. Like what is the goal of your, I mean, like it depends on, you know, who's imposing a goal, uh, you know, certain standards on you. Like, for me, I had to be completely abstinent because of the legal scenario. Yes. And so it really, you know, I, I think for me, recovery really means, you know, matching up, you know, the things that you want in your life for what you're doing. And when you start doing things that are contrary to your goals against your own will, I used to say using against my own will, I mean, you need to get out of that day-to-day, you know, and people who have been addicted, who have suffered from addiction, know the difference. Like, like I know that I'm not addicted to coffee uh, the same way that I was addicted to crack. Like, even though I got to have my coffee every day. Right. Um, but it is not the same. And it's like... Well, if you drink too much coffee, it's your, fa- your wife's not going to leave you. Your kids are not going to be taken away. Right. Yeah. So it's... So there, the consequences like, are different as well. You know, and to become abstinent for any period of time could be a really good start and then maybe you find later on that you know you need to smoke pot to go to sleep and uh, but it's not like ruining your life you're not like interacting with dangerous felons to get it and you know it, it's all about the behavior surrounding it you know uh, from from my perspective but i mean could, but the complicating factor is okay then what is a relapse if if you're saying hey anything exactly. goes like when do we say there's a relapse and um one of the interesting uh, things I read in these articles uh, is what the difference is, and you've heard people say this before. Oh, it was a slip. It was a real. It was a lapse. It was a relapse. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to um, explanation point. What are the um, you warn types me when of those relapse? Because <laughs> yeah, I don't want you to do it. <laughs> so uh, several types of relapse exist. Knowing which one you are facing can help you prepare yourself to overcome the situation and re-enter sobriety. A slip is a single instance of drinking after you have been abstinence. It is a one-time situation. A lapse is several instances of drinking after you have achieved more abstinence. It means that you have drunk more than one alcoholic beverage, but you do not, but you have not returned to your previous alcohol abuse patterns. Then finally, we have a relapse. And a relapse occurs when you not only start drinking again, but also return to a pattern of alcohol abuse or drug abuse. Well, that's very interesting Yeah, because I don't think a lot of traditional recovery programs make that distinction. Yeah. And I think it's important to make those distinctions. Like to say any little fuck up is major relapse start over is idiotic. 
But the court system would find one bad yep. test. If I had a bad a relapse, yep. it would not define it as a lapse, or it would not define it as a, you know a slip. Right. right. And um, I mean, they look, they were a little lenient with me and, you know, but really it, there's no room for a slip when you are trying to stay out of jail. And so, you know, your inability to, you know, follow the terms of your incarceration or uh, probation, you know, is you know, directly related to how you're doing with, you know, staying abstinent. And mm-hmm. so there's kind of, you know, I mean, everything changes when you've got legal consequences, you know, so maybe, you know, just for improving your life, you know, it, it, it helps because this way um, you don't, uh, you don't, um, when you relapse, you don't say, oh, it's the end. It's not abstinence well, violation effect, which we're well, going to talk about. Fear of consequences can be a very effective motivator. For a time. Um, yeah. For a time. But I, I think, and I, and I think the whole thing, uh, the whole idea of using something like Soberlink, it, for example, like Grant, Grant's experience, he voluntarily decided to use Soberlink. To, to give to, his, to give family, his peace family a peace of mind and accountability. Because they can check it. Like, right. They get like an, an app it's message. It's an app. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, but, but that's like, you know, you're putting that accountability on yourself. Uh, the state is not telling you to do it. So you already have to be more predisposed towards changing your behavior, right? This is not coming from the outside. Right. It's, it's coming from within you. So, so, you know, your internal life is already sort of primed if you're willing to take that on yourself to get better, right? Yeah. And, and I think, sure. you know, so something like Soberlink uh, and that accountability, you know, in the first six months to a year of recovery is huge because that gives you the space to then begin working yeah. on the internal stuff inside your head that needs to be right. worked on to stay sober, which I think if you're in some kind of a recovery program, whether it be, um, you know, this naked mind or AA or whatever, you know, um, you have to start doing that internal work. And that may explain why after five years, the risk of relapse is 15%. You know, if, you're, if you manage to maintain that sobriety, it's not just because you're not using substances, you're actually doing other things, right? I mean, you're, right. you're working on your inter- interior landscape, so and, to speak. Yeah, and, and that's, I always talk about that um, when we talk about harm reduction and medication-assisted treatment. You know, um, I had the luxury of a lot of these um, th- things hanging over me that were testing me and all of that. Luxury, it's interesting <laughs> you put it that way, but yeah. Well, but what it allowed me to do... Um, and I was able to, when I did relapse um, or lapsed, I, was, I always came back and tried again. And that's something I always talk about, be persistent, consistent, enthusiastic, and keep coming back, keep coming back. Um, there was, a, for the Recovery Research in, in Institute, uh, had a study on like how many tries does it take to mm-hmm. resolve a substance abuse problem? Uh, so the, the study used data from the National Recovery Study, a large nationally representative sample of 2002 U.S. adults. Um, and what they found was those with five plus years of recovery reported an average of five recovery attempts. Mm-hmm. And the median of two, okay, that's study stuff. The number of serious recovery attempts an individual needs varies on how severe their circumstances are, depression, lack of local support, uh, addiction severity. Accordingly, some people may need many attempts, but most people need two or less, which is 
Very interesting because it took me twenty or thirty. Uh, that was not my experience. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was endless day ones, endless like I'm not going to drink anymore. Yeah. You know, so I, I I guess maybe I'm not sure what they mean by a serious attempt because is that like you know I I'm self directing to go to AA meetings or reading this naked mind or yeah, participating. I, I don't in an really know what that means. You know, well, I knew the difference between when I was really trying and when I was just bullshitting to like yeah. make my wife happy. Or, you know, the next morning I'm never drinking again. I mean, is that a, is that a serious attempt? At, no, I wouldn't call that. Serious attempt. Um, so what this is showing us is that recovery is not usually something that a snap of a finger, spiritual awakening, everything's different. No. No, which is sort of how it gets sold. Uh, and really, the truth of the matter is, not only is everybody, you know, going to respond to different things, but, you know, people will fail. People, uh, I failed. People will fail at this. And it's how you come, just like we talked about with Erin and how great she's doing, you know, because you're learning from that and making another attempt. And you're just sort of building on your body of knowledge and experience and... Ultimately, that's what changed me around. Um, but why do you think? Why do you think that's you know after years and years of trying and failing? Yeah. Why do you think at one point it just clicks or something happens? Like, what is that? Is that the is that the miracle? Is that the is that the, is that the moment of clarity? Is that the, you know? Because yeah. I mean, I've thought about this a lot because I you know I tried to quit drinking for years, years, and and then all of a sudden once I could. I could do it. I did it. Yeah. You know, and I can't figure out why that time was different from the 20 times before. Yeah. It's not always no something you can put your finger on, you know, but one thing you know is that you were working on it. You were trying, you, you opened your mind up to, I need to change this and I'm going to find a way to do it. And no matter how, how many times I failed or got thrown out of my house or lost a job, um, I didn't just give up and say, well, I fucked up and then that's it. Um, right. You know, and I mean, that's I, because important. I did that a, a few times too. That people go out you and know? die all the time because they're too ashamed to come back. And, you know, they think, you know, cause they've, it's been built up that you have one drink, you will die. And when they do, they're like, Oh, I guess I'm dead. So fucking let's go for it. Well, I think people, and I, I don't mean this to sound like elitist or anything, but I peep, I think peep, people who are smarter, like who, who have a little more self-knowledge going into the recovery process, mm -hmm. I think it's harder because you realize from the outset that every you have to change just about everything about your life, everything about the way you view the yeah. world, everything about how you interact with other people. And that can be an, a hugely overwhelming yeah. mountain to, to think about climbing up. Right, like being dumb is great when it comes to recovery. <laughs> it like is, if you is. could just have some, you know, when you walk in and a, and a guy says, I'm your sponsor and you're never going to drink again. And that's enough for you to just do what someone yeah. else says because you, you know, but that's that dance that uh, we do, you know, like, you know, cause when you come into recovery, uh, you think you got it all figured out and you're going to think your way out of it. And you have to disabuse yourself of that sort of uh, that notion that you can outthink it when you first come in because your mind is fucked. You know, it brings you in and addiction does this. Uh, it changes your brain. It does. Uh, your survival uh, instincts have changed. Your brain actually makes, makes uh, your brain prioritize drinking or using over eating, washing, uh, and surviving basically. And so, um, 
so it's just really, uh, it's really endemic. It's really difficult. Um, and, uh, the one thing I also wanted to, to point out, uh, this came from, um, another article called how can thoughts and cravings for alcohol lead to relapse? Uh, it yes. says, what, what are the, like what leads a lot of relapse prevention programs I had to take, um, to always talked about, you know, what's triggering, trigger. you hear the word trigger, what causes a relapse? Like, how do you prevent it? Um, and so, um, they, they have diagrammed some of the things, uh, leading up to a physical relapse nobody intends for a relapse to occur. They happen accidentally and not always, and often result from situations that snowball. A single thought can trigger a cascade of events that eventually lead to a relapse. The first part is the trigger. Mm -hmm. People who struggle with drinking often have triggers that they associate with drinking in the past. For some people, it might be a location such as a certain bar. Yes, stay out of the bar (laughs) where they used to drink or a group of people with whom they used to drink. Being around past triggers can make a person start thinking about drinking again. You know, that's the that, trigger. It is interesting in the, the whole people's places and things like, you know, you got to be careful about what you surround yourself with because of those triggers. But I yeah. think you can all you can also look at certain emotions as a trigger. Like anger can be a trigger. Yeah. Um, depression can be a trigger. Like if every time your parents call you, you get anxiety right. and that creates a trigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then what happens from that trigger moment the thing happens. Sometimes it's just, I woke up in the morning. Like for me, my trigger was the alarm goes off. That's my trigger. Right. Um, but then you get that thought. The trigger happens. Mm-hmm. And then the next part of this is then, the thought. The way you think you. about a trigger can determine whether you continue on to a relapse. For example, it is common for people to mentally justify having a drink by allowing themselves to have thoughts like, I am around all my friends I'll only have one drink and I can control it. These thoughts are red flags that can make a person more likely to relapse when they struggle with drugs and alcohol. And I relate to that a lot. Sure. Know? I get that trigger. That's, that's how my, my last relapse, the one that nearly killed me, started. I was doing great. I talked about this on the Dopey Patreon. Like I was doing great that day. I had six months clean. I was still in, on probation, but I was doing great. Uh, I was being tested regularly, uh, going to recovery meetings, going to AA, all of that. And then one morning, I don't know what the trigger was that day, but something fucking triggered me. And it started me thinking, mm-hmm. I could just have a drink. Right. I can have one. Like, of course I can. Look how good I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, my problem wasn't really alcohol, you know, it was <laughs> dope and crack. And like, you know, what is it? It's just a beer. And that's how it started, you know. Then I got the next part, which is the craving. And once you have given yourself mental permission, yeah, once you talk yourself right. into it. That's it. Right? You're out. To exit sobriety. And, you know, and I can vaguely, I mean, not vaguely, I can vividly remember having that debate with myself. And it mm-hmm. wasn't much of a debate. It was one side, you know, just destroying the other. Like, <laughs> you're going to drink. But, um, I mean, when you've reached that point, it's, yeah. it's almost impossible to reel it back in. Your craving is, is, is really, because it, it's this visceral, you know, it's, you can't control it. Just like I used to, when I was really active alcoholic, um, I couldn't drive past uh, a 7-Eleven or 
a liquor, God forbid, there's a liquor store. Mm-hmm. Like the car almost steered itself. Mm-hmm. It was the craziest thing. I'd be telling myself, I don't want to drink. I can't do this. I'm going to get arrested. Like, it didn't matter. My hands started to go. And like, it, it was Same. just completely under. And then I mean, you get, you, you know, and then it becomes a pattern, you know? Right, and it, and and it, to break that pattern is extremely difficult. I, I would stop at the same liquor store on the way home every single day. Yeah. And like the idea, and I would always tell myself, "I'm just going to drive past today." And I always turned into the lot. It was you're right. It was an automatic behavior. And then then there's the relapse. Then you go and do it, uh, and the the relapse ha- happens. And the description here is guilt and hopelessness are common feelings after a person in recovery has had a drink. They may think that they are a failure and are unable to maintain sobriety. These negative thoughts reinforce the slip-up. Further, they feed a sense of hopelessness that can lead to the person continuing to drink, possibly convinced that they are now unable to stop. And that actually brings us to an explanation point section of this discussion, because this is something I just learned uh, with this research that we were doing. Mm -hmm. Apparently, uh, clinicians suggest that these strategies to avoid relapse um, or mitigate its effects in how to avoid relapse, uh, right. which is a U.S. News and World Report article. And um, that's not where I wanted to go with this. I wanted to talk about <laughs> I was like, oh, we're going to avoid violation effect. Oh, that's over here. Um, so they have something called abstinence violation effect. That is basically the abstinence, and I've never heard of this before. So this is new for me, and it, it really explains for me something that I knew was true that I was trying to wrap my head around. So the abstinence violation effect occurs when an individual has a lapse in their recovery. Instead of learning and growing from their mistake, an individual may believe that they are unable to complete a successfully uh, recovery and feel shame and guilt. This it's is something the shame, we've been it's talking the shame about. Spiral, right? We've been talking about this since day one about you know these the twenty four hour chips and the walk of shame, right? And all of that, and the guilt can drive you to just spiral out. Um, and I'd never heard. Have you ever heard of abstinence violation effect? Not by that term, but no. I mean I've, I'm familiar with the shame spiral and the idea that of hopelessness that comes when you fail repeatedly. Yeah. I think it's interesting that this is something that was picked up on by researchers because it's something we've known uh, is true about. And it's one of the reasons why we want to destigmatize relapsing is because it'll save lives because mm-hmm. this effect, um, I mean, it's written about um, in um, a, gr- a great explanation of it is uh, from broken promises. The abstinence violation effect is from the center for Motivation and Change by Cindy Brody, PhD. And uh, she writes, have you ever wondered why the gym is so crowded on January 2nd and 3rd and is emptied out by about January 10th? (laughs) Well, there's actually a scientific explanation behind this phenomenon. Technically, it's known as the abstinence violation effect, or AVE. But I'm fond of calling it the New Year's resolution breaking effect because it's so glaringly apparent right after everyone makes their new year's resolutions. This is just a way to sort of explain it right. with something people can relate to. In a nutshell, the AVE uh, means that how we respond to drifting from our goals determines what happens after we drift. Do we get right back on track or give up? For example, if we miss a workout January 4th and say something like, oh, well, I guess I blew it with my plan to exercise this year. I knew I'd mess up. 
I'll try again next year. Then we are not likely going back to the gym. However, if we are aware of the AVE and its power, we can prepare ourselves for drifting and slipping from our goals and increase the chances of returning uh, to our goals. Um, I yeah, thought there's, that there's was, no point you know, in, in just tossing away everything because of one little one little slip up. I mean, that, that, that's, that sort of didactic linear thinking is extremely yeah. bad for you. You I know, mean, deifying abstinence well, well, that, leads right. to this. That, that kind of brings me back to, to the idea of, of, you know, what is recovery to you, you know? I mean, to me, it, there's an abstinence component, but maybe to, to other people, it's, uh, well, I mean, to continue the gym a- analogy, maybe for some people it's getting there, you know, three times a month instead of three right. times a week. I mean, you have to sort of manage your expectations, you know. Um, how do you think you avoid a relapse? I think you avoid a relapse uh, by or, a variety or mitig- of ways. Or mitigate its effects. Well, I mean, clinicians have suggested certain strategies. They did? Well, yeah, they did. Uh, one of them would be to join a 12-step support group. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Um, maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe I the support of the group. It's it a, is yeah. a good start. You need it's, to get around people, whether you like AA and A or whatever. Getting into a group of people who are all trying to stay sober for the first. Right. It doesn't have to be a twelve-step group. It could be get into yeah. a group of smart recovery. Get into a group of Dharma. But don't re, don't ever yeah. tell yourself, oh, it's AA. I can't go to that. Or yeah, I yeah, can't no, go of course to, not. Don't. You can go to any recovery meeting, including Gamblers Anonymous, and I've done that before, just to get the message of people trying to, you know, better their lives. Because everywhere else you go, it's people drinking, you know, with uh, yeah, breakfast. Uh, so look at it like. Um, emergency surgery. Right. And surround right? yourself with positive, positive people. people. I mean, you know, if you keep hanging out with drinkers and drug users, chances are you'll relapse, right? What's the old saying? Uh, if you hang around in a barbershop long enough, you eventually you're going to get a haircut, yeah. right? So sobriety works best when you can surround yourselves with other sober people who are also working towards a better life. You know, you have to make mindful choices in this drinking culture of ours. Uh, yes. You know, and then when you have sober friends from a support group, you can uh, reach out to them, you know? Yeah, uh, and that's I, huge. And the one thing I, I do love about uh, AA 12-step, you know, all their little acronyms and everything is the HALT acronym. Yeah. Which, um, you know, mind your HALT, H-A-L-T. What does that mean? It means you should not get too hungry, H, angry, A, lonely, L, or tired, which can lead to a, lead to a relapse. I'm especially uh, susceptible to the hungry one. Uh, yeah, they say if you have two of these happening, they used to tell us, if you have two of these happening at once, major danger zone. Yes. Like any more than if two. you're hungry and angry, and sometimes the anger flows from the hunger, yeah. I've found. 80, yeah. 80% of fights are usually between couples are a result of one of them not eating. Yeah. Have you heard that statistic? I have not. I just made that up. <laughs> it sounds like absolutely <laughs> correct, though. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think that's a great acronym. It always stuck with me. Uh, and for a, early on in recovery, I used to actually, when I was trying to stay clean, I would think to myself, when I started to crave something, mm-hmm. I would say, am I hang- hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And mm-hmm. then I would identify whichever ones I was, and I would remedy those problems and... Usually, and maybe it was just the act of trying to do something about it um, more than actually doing it. You know, it got my mind off of the craving and the using, and it, and it helps. I, I actually, one thing that was different from for me from the last time I, I, I 
you know, put a serious effort into recovery was I used to try and do everything all at once. I would try and quit drinking. I would start, you know, exercise more. I would do it all of it at once. I'd become like a macrobiotic uh, Zen diet, you know, and, but this time around, what I said was, you know what, I'm just going to focus on the recovery part. I'm not going to think too much about the, uh, the diet part. Right. And I found that I was, you know, like most people who quit drinking, you just crave sugar like a madman yeah. for, for months. And I just indulged myself. Yeah. I carried candy around. I ate candy. I ate they ice cream. They do that in rehabs. Yeah. They have candy all over the place. But it worked. Yeah. It worked. You know, instead of denying myself, like, which I always have in the past, I just shoved the fucking candy in my mouth. And it really made a big difference. It kept my mood level. Which is weird. Yeah, I don't know what the science behind that is, but they always say, you know, uh, especially recovering um, heroin addicts, they go for the can. Like every this outpatient I was at, um, Dawn, who was the leader, she always had a big bowl of sucking candies Mm -hmm. and gummies and shit like that. I think it's got something to do with the way your liver metabolizes uh, glucose and stuff. But but. I found that went away after a few months. Like I became more yeah. normal with it. But anyway. Yeah, your body just, has to reset. The uh, other thing you should do is learn new ways of coping. Hmm. Right? Did some people in recovery experience a pink cloud. I did. What's During it? the first weeks or months of abstinence, a euphoric feeling of well-being. I had that in spades. Uh, eventually, though, that wears off, and then you have to do the hard work of learning how to deal with life's up and downs without alcohol and drugs. Wee, what fun. <laughs> I loved my pink cloud. Yeah, me too. Um, it was great. I tried to maintain that as long as possible. And what I hated about certain recovery meetings was the old timers, you know, dismissal of a newcomer. Yeah, who, just on a pink cloud. Yeah, I ran a pink cloud. But you know what? That pink cloud, ride that fucking thing as, lo- as far yeah. as it'll take you, man. Yeah. And. I used to, you know, really look up to the the long-term sobriety guys who still appeared to be on that pink cloud. Mm -hmm. You know, you can continue to stay. I mean, it's not going to be magical forever, but you should always feel good about what you're doing for Mm -hmm. yourself. You know, if you're going to all of these recovery meetings and, you know, you're working on your recovery, but you're just miserable, you know, recovery is part, part, partially and and a lot of it for me is like making yourself really happy. You know, right. You might say, well, what if I think that, you know, snorting cocaine will, is, will make me happy? But <laughs> you know that's a deception. Yes. Um, yes. We know what the good things are, uh, you know, or if we don't know, we begin to quickly see, um, you know, how it's working. I, I did not have a pink cloud this time around. I um I actually was rather depressed the first few months, and but I feel like now that I now I am much happier, more yeah, level, I, more I up, the, you know. Yeah, more up, but you know, it, it's you don't want to be manic, like, and that was something yeah, yeah. I was always conscious of because Little I, manic, I was maybe. pretty. You get shit done. I was very manic, <laughs> you know. Still, am not as much, um, but I wanted to make sure I was being right sized, and I was, you know, I was doing things for the right reasons. But um, and then of course. There's. One must remain vigilant. Right. Remember uh, that just because you have some time put together, it doesn't mean that the potential for relapse is gone. Um, you can relapse at any point in time because your the structure of your brain has changed. And you have to be cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, if you do relapse after a long period of sobriety, um, I don't know. Yeah, that's bad. Well, and, and in relapse <laughs> because you because you you tend to go whole hog, right, right, right. 
I love the hogs. Yeah. You know, but there's different types. You, did you ever hear someone in, in the room say something like, oh, I had an emotional relapse? Or yes. um, I've heard people say this before, and I, I understand it. Um, but one of the things that came up in research is that these different kinds of relapse, um, they list an emotional relapse when a person is not actively drinking or thinking about drinking when they're in emotional relapse. However, they have thought patterns and actions that may be setting them up for a future relapse. For example, a person might start feeling hopeless, might start breaking their sobriety routine, such as missing their group therapy meetings. You know, I guess that's an emotional. Well, you begin to, like you haven't started drinking yet, but you begin to behave like you're snapping at your wife. You're, you know, right. isolating. Uh, you can also have a mental relapse. And these are all things leading up to the, the physical relapse. Sometimes in a mental relapse, uh, it's waging an internal struggle with a part of themselves that wants to remain sober and the other part that wants to use alcohol. Right, right. When a person <laughs> is in a mental relapse, they may start drinking again at any time. Those involved in 12-step programs are encouraged to call their sponsors Right, this is a great opportunity to call your sponsor um, when you begin to have that inner dialogue and you start losing, or just call a friend. Yeah, call a friend, a non-drinking friend. Well, well that, the problem with that is, who are you comfortable telling that you're struggling right now? You well, know. Well, that's why in the the earlier uh, ways to avoid a relapse uh, situation. We said uh, it help. It's helpful to surround yourself with people that are also on a similar path. Right, right? or talk to your tandem sponsor right uh someone you're working with or someone like you know your wife but you got to get it out of your head because you're going to lose that debate if 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 you give it any oxygen it's very very hard especially internal oxygen but if you if you put it out in the world then all of a sudden you can see it for what it is right and and of course the final relapse is the physical relapse and the person starts actively using again and then you're resuming these patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big one for me is identifying patterns. Like anytime someone is like, oh, you took CBD, you're not sober. Or, you know, oh, you take Kratom, you're not sober. I'm like, um, n- no, I don't agree with you because I know what sober feels like and this is it. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm thinking in terms of how destructive are my behavior patterns um, are the things that I'm doing, how do I feel on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, I know that right now I'm in a great sober place. And, uh, but part of that is being mindful. Like if I stopped reaching out, you know, if I stopped doing the, the outline regularly, <laughs> stopped working on this show, stop, you know, making my phone calls, uh, and listening to my podcast and things, you know, I would start to notice, feeling differently. Just the fact that I stopped, you know, running as much, mm. you know, I'm, I'm overly sensitive to, to that because I know it's something that was helping me with my recovery. So just being mindful of, of all of that. It is hot though. Yeah. It's a little hot. Um, and, uh, so you could run on a treadmill. Yeah, I guess. Like, I, I don't like running on treadmills. I don't think anybody um, likes running on treadmills. All right. We're running kind of long here. Um, I think we have covered a great deal. We have covered a great deal. With relapse, of course. Um, Finally, it's not part of your recovery program to relapse, just like we said in the previous show. But this does happen. And what we're trying to illuminate 
is that you shouldn't just because you relapse to whatever your standard of relapse is doesn't mean that you have completely failed must start over and all of that you just get back on that horse and you ride get on that horse yeah beat so, that horse or as um paul churchill says saddle up <laughs> saddle up and he still never responded to my email no he didn't so with that, he's back though on Recovery Elevator. He is uh, Paul Churchill. You can hear him on Recovery Elevator, and um, so that is our part two of the relapse spectacular. And we'll be right back after these words. Yeah, um, and we're back. We're back. We're back. You know, for some reason, this this relapse topic has really made me nervous. Um, In what way? Usually, I'm I'm very lighthearted about this podcast and, you know, having fun. But I feel like this is such an important topic. Mm. You know, I feel like, uh, I don't know, it makes me nervous to like, am I going to do it justice? Are we going to, you know, cover enough ground so that people who listen, you know, get the message. And um, if you're getting the message, let us know. Go to our private Facebook group. And um, it's it's going really cool over there. We're having a lot of fun. A lot of people are engaging uh, in a discussion. And so that's where, you know, we have these discussions on the show. But really, the point is to bring it to the uh, discussion group. It's our online recovery community, we call it. Uh, it's free. You just have to join up. I mean, our po- this podcast is entertainment in nature, uh, if any of you are using this as your primary source of recovery, I would <laughs> suggest rethinking that. Yeah, use it as part of it. But <laughs> right. um, get involved and let's avoid relapse together. So yes. what is it time for? What time is it, Nat? Recovery <laughs> in the news. Yeah! All right! Recovery in the news. Recovery Okay, uh, this week, Recovery in the News comes from, it's an article from the New York Post. Those of you in the New York metropolitan area may be familiar with the tabloids here. Uh, We have a uh, left-wing and a right-wing tabloid. The Daily News is sort of dropped into the left-wing category these days, and the New York Post is sort of dropped into the right-wing category. Yeah, they're pretty right-wing. So I take anything that comes out of the New York Post. I mean, they use large fonts, big words, and uh, lots of pictures. But uh, they so here uh, they're reporting on a recent scientific study that found, <laughs> somebody did a scientific study that uh, to see whether you could turn fish into methamphetamine addicts. Oh, and apparently it's you question, can. It's an answer to a question nobody asks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you want to pick up the July seventh episode of uh, the New York Post, and then we will link to it in the show notes as usual. Uh, scientific study finds fish can turn to meth addicts. scientific researchers got brown trout addicted to the drug in a test that had them swimming in a tank with meth-laced water for eight weeks, a study published Tuesday. (laughs) She's like a tweaker's dream. When they were later given an option of a clean stream or one with methamphetamine, the trout preferred the tainted water, (laughs) a sign they were experiencing withdrawal, uh, the researchers said in the Journal of Experimental Biology. These people are sick, by the way, for doing this. I guess the study was uh, originally aimed to test the effect of drugs that seeped into natural waterways because, you know, if they test, you know, when they test um, 
municipal water supplies, they often find the results of people flushing their medications yep. down the toilet, and mm-hmm. they find you know all like kinds of funny Prozac stuff. Like there's Prozac and yeah. uh, opiates. <laughs> Right. But not methamphetamines at these levels. They really want to get these fish high, ruin their families, you know. Right. And then what's weird is um, they were actually seeing some of these fish, um, like, taking apart air conditioning and putting them, trying to put them back together, like real tweakers. Yeah. Well, or, you know, yeah. Or, you know, you remember that thing, the largemouth bass? Yeah. It was on a plaque and yeah. you'd press the button and it would yeah. sing? Like, imagine it never stopped singing and then stayed up all night trying to organize your CD collection. Yeah. Um, the study, which aimed to test the effects of drugs seeping into natural waterways, also found the trout moved around less after meth exposure than their drug-free counterparts, mm. um, probably because they were studying very intently the river bottom. Uh, <laughs> the study's head researcher told CNN that the drug seeps through the filtration process at water treatment plants. Um, that as the drug seeps through, drug-addicted fish could seek out water change behavioral patterns and throw the ecosystem into disarray. Addicted fish may gather around where the plants are discharging water, the researcher warned. So like a bunch of ne'er-do-well fish hanging around the, the outflows <laughs> of the sewer treatment plant they're, looking for drugs. Um, they're hanging at the corner waiting for their fix. Yeah, crazy. Um, he said he uh, expects waterways to have less concentration of meth than what was used in the study, uh, one microgram per liter. Uh, when I go fly fishing this evening, which I plan to do, I don't anticipate I'll be wading around in water with anywhere near that much methamphetamine, Peterson said. Although the estimated level uh, said, uh, another scientist estimated the level was quite common. So It's really interesting. Like Are all like the meth heads who, re- who listen to this going to go out there with like canteens and just start <laughs> drinking as much of it as they uh, can? Honey, I'm going to go fly fishing <laughs> again. Um, anyway, I feel bad for the fish. I hope they were able to get them off and get their serotonin levels back in yeah. order. I mean, I believe in science and all of that, but uh, I t- tend to feel bad for these little fishies. Yes. And that's recovery. In the news. Recovery in the news. Yeah. All right. And that brings us to The Week in Weird. This Week in Weird. Bigfoot filmed crossing a Bigfoot. river? Bigfoot. Yeah, found another Bigfoot. It, you know, it's maybe it's the same Bigfoot, just being seen by mm-hmm. different people. In any case, this is by our favorite, Tim Banal. <laughs> you have to find a new <laughs> I like author. Tim Banal. It's been Tim every week. He always says bewildered, and that's I love that. Okay. An intriguing piece of footage from... Michigan shows a rather sizable creature in the process of crossing a river, and some suspect that the strange beast could be Bigfoot. A group known as the Rocky Mountain Sasquatch Organization (laughs) received the wild report earlier this month from an individual named Eddie, who claimed that (laughs) their cousin spotted the strange scene while kayaking on the Cass River. The man in Michigan, it's not the South. They don't talk like that. That sounds better when I do that. The man initially provided them with a remarkable photo that appears to capture a bipedal creature crossing the river while seemingly holding something in its arms. It's a guy with a case of Meister Brow. (laughs) Maybe Jenny Light. Uh, Fortunately, Eddie subsequently shared a brief video of the eerie encounter, which provides a somewhat better glimpse of the oddity, although admittedly difficult to decipher, as per usual with these (laughs) things. As all potential Sasquatch photos seem to be, some have theorized that the witness captured footage of an adult Bigfoot 
holding either a juvenile version of the creature or perhaps a deer as it makes its way across the cave. Probably just River. a couple of hippies. As one might imagine, more skeptical observers have argued that the Sasquatch is merely a hunter or perhaps the whole scene is a clever hoax or no. not so clever. Should that latter scenario be the case, one would almost have to salute the creators of the fake material since it would have required some one to don a Sasquatch costume and venture out into the river. Is that is that really hard in the I, age of um, I don't believe you know, that YouTube there's... videos for clicks? Like somebody would wear a Sasquatch costume and <laughs> put on this monkey suit, Jet. We're gonna be rich. We're gonna be rich. Um. So that um, that was a, a week this week in here. All right. Well, we're wow. done. Are we done? That about does it for you. You've today. wasted a perfectly good hour and a half listening yes. to Mike and Nat ramble on about what do we talk about? I don't remember. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com and check out our new merch page. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. If you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. Check out our show notes. Mike works very hard at them, and there are many hilarious Lapse. Easter eggs to find relapse that's what we talked about right listen to us on podbean apple podcast <laughs> facebook instagram spotify amazon youtube and tweet us at twat you twit please go to your apple podcast app and itunes and write us a great review five star reviews will be read on the air will be um and as we say non proficiat perfectum that's progress not perfection see you next time be good or be gone too.